This talk was given by Shyla Catherine. For more information and a schedule of her events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. Is anybody coming for the very first time to meditate in your life? Or nearly so? No? Okay. Okay. Nearly so. Okay. Okay, great. Today we're going to be working with mindfulness with breathing. I'd like to first guide a meditation using mindfulness with breathing and then speak a little bit about it and then guide another meditation. So we'll have a couple of meditations this evening together. And though we're going to focus primarily on the breath, I always like to begin each meditation session being aware of the posture that we're taking. And so we feel ourselves sitting. We feel the body sitting. You might first just sense the body in space, the general way the arms and the legs are arranged just having a sense of the space that this body occupies. Have a general sense of the temperature. Perhaps even an awareness of the sounds. Basically, just to become aware of where you are. And then direct the attention to feel some specific points, like the contact of the feet with the floor, or whatever part of your body touched the floor if you're sitting on the floor. Can you feel the sensations of that contact? Hardness, heaviness, pressure, pushing. Smoothness, softness, heat. Vibration, tingling. Then feel the contact of the buttocks on the seat. And again, feel the sensations. The hardness, the pressure, the tingling, the heat, the vibration, the pulsing. Or whatever sensations you feel. Sense the alignment of the spine. Allow the neck to be free, the head to release upward. So that there's an uprightness to the posture, but that uprightness is not attained through strain or force. It's simply through a release based upon the foundation of the sit bones on the seat and the contact with the floor. As your attention becomes more established in the sitting posture, 
allow yourself to relax, allow the face to relax, allow the eyes to gently close, allow the jaw to relax, the shoulders to relax, the chest and belly to relax. Allow the breath to flow easily, comfortably, and perhaps most importantly, naturally. Because we're not trying to breathe in any special way. We're not trying to have long breaths or short breaths. We're not trying to make the in-breath and the out-breath of equal length. We're not forcing or contriving the breath at all. We're allowing the body to breathe. And we're simply knowing that experience. It's the experience that's been happening anyway. The only difference that we're doing is we're giving our attention to it. As we develop mindfulness, we're basically practicing to be mindful and aware of whatever is happening, whatever you notice occurring in the present moment. But it can be very helpful to have an anchor to the present moment, to have a primary object. And so tonight I'm going to speak about using the breath as the primary object. First, just notice how you experience the breath. Where do you feel the breath most clearly? Sometimes we feel the rise and fall of the abdomen or the belly. Direct your attention to feel the breath or to feel perhaps the sensations that occur as a result of the breath in that belly area. How are the sensations different on the in-breath than the out-breath? Are you feeling heat or coolness? 
Are you feeling pressure, movement, vibration? Is it hard or soft? Let go of any ideas you have about the breath and see if you can simply experience the sensations associated with the rise and the fall of the belly. Then to try experiencing the breath in the chest area, simply move your attention to feel the movement and the expansion of the ribs, the sensations in the chest, and how they're different with each in-breath and each out-breath. It might not only be the chest, you might feel that expansion in the shoulders, in the back, in the sides but the upper part of the body rather than the abdomen. Where do you experience the breath? How does it feel? Which is more distinct and clearer, the in-breath or the out-breath? If the mind wanders away, do you notice if it tends to wander more on the in-breath, the out-breath, or the pause between breaths? Is there interest in the breath? Okay, it's not the most exciting perception, perhaps. But can you meet the breath with interest?
Another way of approaching mindfulness with breathing is to observe the breath at the nostrils or the upper lip area. To basically direct the attention to the place where the breath enters and exits the body. As you direct your attention to the breath in the nostril and upper lip area, how do you know it? Are you feeling sensations? If so, what sensations? Do you feel on that touch of the breath a warmth or a coolness? If so, notice if the in-breath or the out-breath are warmer or cooler. Do you feel any movement? What is that experience of the touch of the breath? You might notice where you experience that touch. For some people, the sensation is stronger in the nostrils. For some, more at the tip of the nose. For some, more in the upper lip area. How is it for you? Sometimes when we give our attention to the breath, without even noticing it, we start to control the breath. Let go of any striving or force or control. There's no need to make the breath stronger. There's no need to force it or make it louder. Let the breath be silent. Let it be natural. And let the attention with interest gently meet the experience of the breath and rest in there in an explorative way because we're interested to know the breath. We're developing mindfulness with breathing.
Sometimes to help establish the attention on the breath, we use a counting method. And this is frequently done when we're using the breath at the nostrils or upper lip area as the primary focus. And what we simply do is we observe the in-breath and then we observe the out-breath. And then we add a count, one. And then we observe the in-breath and the out-breath. And we count two. And we count up to five or eight or ten, whatever you like, but don't go above ten. And then we start to count backwards from ten to nine to eight, back down to, to one, and then go upwards. So we make a few rounds from one to ten, or if you want to choose eight or seven or five, whatever number you like. And we make a few rounds to help focus the attention. When we do this, our attention is primarily directed to the breath. And the number, the count, is just like a whisper in the mind to help focus the attention upon the breath. We're not separating from the breath and starting to count like an, you know, just a math prop process or an arithmetic adding process. We're really focusing on the breath and just counting them. If we're not paying attention, we might find ourselves getting up to 12 or 13 or 14 or getting lost at two. Because if we're too preoccupied with the count and we're not really with the process, then we'll count too long. And if we're just simply lost off in thought, we'll forget to count. But try a couple of rounds. Just your natural breath, whether it's long or short, doesn't matter. Just add the count.
if the mind wanders off, as is the tendency of the mind. Simply notice that the mind has wandered into thoughts, into dreams, into plans or memories, and then redirect it back to experience the breath. We've worked with the rise and fall of the belly. We've worked with the sensations in the upper torso. We've worked with the nostrils and upper lip area where the breath enters and exits the body. The last way I want to introduce mindfulness with breathing is to simply experience the breath in the body to broaden your attention to experience yourself sitting and just notice the breath however it appears. This may be a more diffused experience of breath. It may blend the perception of posture and breath. It may maintain a broader and more widely opened experience of the body breathing. It may have a more general experience of the breath. That's fine. Sitting and breathing in full awareness. You might consider in the last few minutes of the meditation session where your attention met the breath most easily. Where was it more distinct? Where did it feel more comfortable to direct your attention to the breath? Was it easier observing the rise and fall of the belly 
the expansion and contraction of the ribs, the upper torso and chest? Or was the touch of the breath at the nostrils and upper lip clearer? How was the counting? And the experience of the whole body breathing? Wherever you feel it was easiest or clearest or more comfortable or where your interest is stronger, let that be your primary object. Let that be the way that you experience the breath, the place you direct your attention to. And then for the last few minutes of the sitting, please observe the breath in that mode whether it's the rise and fall of the belly, the expansion and contraction of the chest, the in and out at the nostrils, or the whole body breathing, sitting and breathing. So mindfulness with breathing. I'd like to begin with a quote from the Samyutta Nikaya that says, this concentration by mindfulness of breathing when developed and cultivated is peaceful and sublime. An ambrosial pleasant dwelling and it disperses and quells right on the spot evil unwholesome states whenever they arise. Isn't that beautiful? This practice is called an ambrosial pleasant dwelling that has a certain effect. It disperses and quells unwholesome states whenever they arise. So I ask you, 
Did you enjoy observing your breath? Was there any ease or comfort in it? Was there any calmness in it? Even a glimmer, even a flicker? Could you say that you enjoyed it? Maybe not for the whole time, but maybe for a little bit of the time? Maybe the time when you actually connected with the breath and not, not so much the time when the mind was wandering off and then judging itself for wandering off. <laughs> but when you actually connect with the breath, very often the experience is of ease, of pleasure, sometimes of joy, delight. And it has a kind of effect. Did you notice that when you were observing the breath, you were not angry? Were you angry? When you were observing the breath, were you filled with lust and desire and craving? Were you filled with confusion and doubt and perplexity and bewilderment? Were you agitated and restless? Okay, maybe a little bit. (laughs) But usually when we're observing the breath, when we're with the breath, the mind is free from unwholesome states. We're not being pushed and pulled by desire and aversion because we're just simply settled. We're just simply connecting with a very ordinary experience of breathing. Mindfulness with breathing is one of the primary meditation practices that we do. It's not suitable for everybody. For some people, it's much more suitable to use the body as the primary object or loving kindness or another, another uh, meditation practice as the primary focus. But for many people, mindfulness with breathing is a fabulous meditation object. Why? Because we're breathing. It's a real, genuine experience that as long as you can meditate, you're having, at least in this life, at least in the human realm. Right? As long as you're alive, you're breathing. So we can simply take an ordinary experience and start to observe it and refine the quality of mindfulness, refine and develop the mind by observing this actual present experience. It sounds so ordinary from our perspective today. Like, what's the big deal, you know? What, you're a teacher? You teach people to pay attention to their breath? Huh? Why do you need to travel the world to do that? Why do you need to write books about it? Actually, it's a remarkably interesting practice that has a lot of subtleties. But one of the things that I think is most unusual or radical or or historically significant about mindfulness with breathing is just to consider the context that we inherited this practice out of. So way back when, 2,600 years ago, when the Buddha was alive, when he was practicing meditation, when he was awakened and teaching and guiding people to also develop their minds and awaken, he taught mindfulness with breathing. But if we think about and look at what kinds of practices predated the Buddha, we'll realize that many of the spiritual practices required some extreme abilities. For example, the Brahmins would often have rather extensive 
years actually, years of study of the Vedas to really know the texts, to know the history, to know, to recite, to memorize, to, it was a, a, a tremendous need for study and for memorization. And so, in many ways, those kinds of teachings were available only to the elite. There were, then there were also wanderers of many different kinds of sects that practiced austerities, sometimes self-mortification practices. And even the aso- practices associated with breathing were about controlling the breath, sometimes to the point of holding the breath. You know, just trying to stop the breath and through that intensity of trying to stop the breath, dealing with all the pain that would be associated with that. Again, that was a very harsh and ascetic practice that was available or could be practiced only by a few people. Fasting, physical austerities, not available to everybody. But what did the Buddha teach? He taught simply being aware of a natural breath. And he taught this as a middle way practice. This as a practice that anybody could do. I mean, it's very egalitarian. You don't have to be male or female. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be incredibly strong. You don't have to give up the household life. You just observe the breath. And historically, I think that is extremely um, important and interesting to recognize how this teaching is available really to everybody. Everybody can do it if you're breathing. The people that find that mindfulness with breathing is not so suitable to them, a, a large percentage have maybe asthma or maybe a blockage of the sinuses, or something that makes the breath kind of uncomfortable, a cracked rib, something like that. Not everybody, some people just prefer other objects. But the vast majority of students that I've had who haven't really connected with mindfulness with breathing actually have a physical experience that makes the breath slightly uncomfortable. And Ideally, it's a relatively neutral experience. It might be slightly uncomfortable, that's okay. It might be slightly pleasant, that's okay. But it shouldn't be extreme. Like, as much as I love mindfulness with breathing, there was a period of time I had been in a car accident and I had a, a lot of, cra- a lot of um, uh, twisted ribs. And um, once I had, like, a, a, a cough that um, I cracked ribs when I had such a bad... Um, cough, I cracked some ribs. And during those periods of time, I didn't use mindfulness with breathing because each time I took a breath, it was like, ah, you know, it was like this sharp sensation. And that can agitate the mind. But if you feel like your breath is a relatively ordinary breath, then it might be a fabulous way of working with the attention because it's subtle. And so it means that when the object is subtle, then the attention and the mindfulness need to become refined and subtle too to keep observing it. So I'm curious, how did you experience those different ways of knowing the breath? The breath at the belly, the breath at the chest, the breath at the nostrils, and the whole body breathing. 
Yeah, it's not always clear. For some people, there's one that the mind feels comfortable with and others that feel uncomfortable. If it's fairly even or if you're just trying to debate between a couple, then some of the different tendencies is that when you focus on the belly, rising and falling, well, first of all, you would do that if you were doing certain practices like um, the Mahasi method with mental noting encourages the breath here. So you just kind of, it's easiest to conform to the method because there's less resistance. But basically, this rising and falling emphasizes the wind element, the pushing pressure and movement. And so it's very grounded in the body. It's a a way of really getting centered and mindful of changing sensations. So that can be very helpful if you tend towards thought and you might want to be really more embodied and It also might be a a good choice if you want to emphasize the embodied quality of sensation because it's usually quite distinct. The chest area can function quite similarly, but it's often a little bit more general for people. And that would just, you just choose between the two based upon where you felt the sensations more clearly. And they both work just fine as meditation objects. You choose the breath and the nostrils either because it was you felt more comfortable there or because you were more interested instead of observing changing sensations in an insight meditation practice, many concentration practices emphasize the breath here. Why? Because actually the breath disappears. It's hard to sustain the perception on the sensations. Whereas here in the belly, you're always experiencing changing sensations, movement, pressure. But here, after a while, they're so subtle that they actually seem to disappear. And the fact that they disappear enable us to use this focal point of the breath to develop absorptive concentration with a mental object derived from the breath. And so there are practices that use the breath in this area. And then we are not always working with the sensations of the breathing. Often we're working with the knowing of breath or with the concept of breath. For example, we can even continue to observe the breath without feeling heat or cold, without feeling pressure or tingling, and just still have a knowledge There's breath in, there's the in-breath, and then there's the out-breath. And we might not be able to find the actual sensations for it, but we're not wandering off in thought, we're still with the breath. And when it becomes that subtle, then it's as though it's a mental object, and the mind can have an absorptive connection with a mental object, which is very suitable for concentration practices, samadhi practices. It's not so suitable for vipassana practices, for insight practices, which are based upon observing changing sensations. So this, the, lower, uh, the lower objects, the more embodied objects, might be more suitable for observing the changing sensations. The area of the nostrils might be more suitable for developing concentration and samadhi. This is fairly general, what I'm saying, because you develop concentration when you're 
observing at the belly, and you're also mindful when you're at the nostrils. <laughs> so, and you can have insight. So it's not cut and try. These are just general tendencies when you're trying to choose your object. And then some people prefer the whole body just to have this, there's a kind of strength and ease that comes when we just let the attention be kind of broader and opened and encompass the experience, the total experience of sitting from head to toe. And within that framework, a broad open framework, then we observe the experience of the breath. That's especially suitable for people that tend to get headaches. Because if you tend to get headaches, what you do not want to do is now focus on your nose. Because inevitably people get tense about it. And then it makes the headaches worse. So this kind of open experience of just head to toe, kind of like, it's almost like it's, it's a subtle experience of the body. It's not so much an anatomical experience of the body. It's like feeling the body sitting almost like a field of vibration. But within that, you can experience different kinds of sensations associated with sitting and different sensations associated with the breath. And you can stay really grounded in a sense of presence. And that can be, like I said, very useful for many people. It also carries well into daily life because you can experience the whole body in various activities without having to focus on any kind of particular contrived experience. So it doesn't matter which object you choose, but those general tendencies of where you would, of why you might choose one or the other, I just offer as a, a as a, a general framework, mostly what I like to suggest is go home and try the, the different places uh, for a few days and just see where you seem to get lost less. You know, where does the mind stay more connected rather than less connected? And then just choose that. I've used all of the ways of, medit- of, of the objects, and they all, they all develop a mindfulness. They all develop samadhi. They all develop, you know, we can develop insight with, with all of these practices. It is very helpful in this, the way that we teach the, the, the development of mindfulness is to have a primary object. And so we offer the breath as a primary object, and that's why we start this series that way. And so you can focus on the breath, but it's not the only object. To develop mindfulness, we actually have to be willing to be mindful of whatever is happening. Maybe there's hearing, so we'd be mindful of hearing. This place is very quiet. Okay, there's a, there, some kids were playing, and there's a little bit of basketball, but it's not a big deal. We live in a world where there are sounds. And I actually get a kick out of how... Sometimes people get very reactive to sounds. It's true, it's more pleasant to meditate when it's quiet, but the noisiest places I have ever meditated were in the Thai forest monasteries in the jungle. I mean, they were so noisy. First of all, in the monasteries, sometimes they would have set up loudspeakers so that if you didn't, if you weren't in, so that the, what whatever lecture was Dharma talk or chanting was happening would be you know, sent out throughout the whole monastery and forest. But that aside, it, those bugs are really noisy. The cicadas, all the various insects, they'd be screeching and the birds would be screeching. And it's just like, it was noisy. 
It was really noisy. But often people, they don't mind the sound of the crickets. They don't mind the sound of the, of the breeze. But people might react to the sound of the traffic or the sound of, of a person or a sound. And if you list, look very closely and notice, is it the sound that's bothering you or is it your judgment about the sound? Because I used to do this with the sound of traffic because often the sound of traffic and the sound of the wind in the trees is virtually the same, really virtually the same to the ear. Little vibration. But the mental associations are different. And yet people sometimes get so upset about traffic. I get a kick out of it at, the, at our Mountain View location because we meet next door to an AA group. And uh, many people who come at, as beginners to that group struggle to meditate because they're listening to the AA group. But it's, their mi- it's the mind that's going out to the AA group. Actually, it's kind of nice to sit and to just let there be sound. It's like life. You know, let there be life. Do we need to be disturbed by it? And it's true, it is more pleasant to meditate in a quiet environment. I get that. But when I've talked with quite a few of the people who've been coming to the Mountain View group over the years, almost everybody says how much they enjoy just sitting there and letting the sounds just be out there. You know, that it's actually just a part of the experience without without resistance and it's been interesting to see how how that develops as soon as we stop fighting something as soon as we stop resisting it it's not a problem it's not a problem in the breath sometimes we make things also into a problem sometimes we judge our breath there's no point if you're breathing there's no problem I do sometimes mention that people let the breath be silent because sometimes people try to force the breath or they try to control the breath or they try to make the breath long or short or even. And in some way or other, they're actually trying to make the breath coarser and hear it so that it's easier to pay attention to. And I can understand the motivation of trying to stay stay connected with it. But in this practice, we want the breath to be subtle so that the attention can become subtle. So just let it be natural, however you experience it. I'd like to hear anything else about your experience of the meditation. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. I think it's really helpful to really notice, just as you did, where there was some ease. And let the mind rest there. An ambrosial, pleasant dwelling. Why not? You know, life is hard if we can enjoy a breath. Why not? Why not? Let it be that simple. And 
I also appreciate in what you're saying that there was an, a, a recognition of the effort. Sometimes the effort is too strong or too focused or too narrow or too controlled. And sometimes it can be too wide and too open. And you can always adjust that. And you can adjust that with virtually any of the objects, actually. Even the, even the whole body can sometimes be kind of closer to the skin or less so. You know, sometimes the, the rise and fall can be more precise or less so. You can adjust that depending on really what, help, what helps you stay most aware, most mindful, most steady and clear. And it won't be the same every day. So it's important, whatever you notice, don't necessarily say, I have to always do it like this. Yeah, 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 that's, that's lovely. Yeah, and you can, um, you can use sound, like you said, to bring yourself right into the present moment. And it's true. So how many times do you walk throughout the day and not notice the birds? You know, we think that there's no birds in the parking lot. You listen the next time you go to a grocery store and walk across the parking lot. Just listen. And I'll bet you might even hear birds in parking lots. Wherever you might be, it's amazing. There's always life around when we open to it and hear it. Well, I had the good fortune of connecting with a group that had real forest jungle monasteries, like way out in the jungle. And I did a lot of... There were very few times I practiced indoors. It was almost always outdoors, under a mosquito net, uh, sleeping on the, on the... Literally at the root of trees, <laughs> under a mosquito net, or on a bamboo platform, or in a cave just with a mosquito net around me. And there were all the bugs. And there was a lot of malaria. That's why I was really diligent about my mosquito net and sealing it up. There were, you know, lots of snakes and, like, life of the jungle. Lots of creepy, crawly things. And many of them poisonous. People died every year at the monastery from some malaria or snake or spider kind of thing. But nevertheless, I loved it. I loved it. We don't have those kinds of uh, places here. Life is a little bit different here. But nevertheless, we still sit and breathe. And the very same practices happen in both in all kinds of conditions. We sit, we breathe. We don't have to be in a cave. We don't have to be in a monastery. We can just be mindful of the experience of sitting and breathing. We can observe that when we're washing the dishes. We can observe it while we're walking. We can just sometimes tune in to the fact that we're breathing as we're going up an elevator or when our, when our phone rings. Just notice one breath. Let's do another meditation. Do you, do you want to just stand for a minute, shake out your legs, and then sit down again? Are you breathing? So did you sit down on an in-breath or an out-breath? 
Okay, so you noticed. Nice, nice. Very often um, we don't bother to notice the breath in activities, but we can continue the mindfulness with breathing as we move, as we do our activities. And then every once in a while just notice. Did you sit down on an in-breath or an out-breath? Did you put your sweater on on an in-breath or an out-breath? You know, just, just to notice. Okay, you don't have to make a Facebook post about it, but <laughs> you don't have to tweet about it, but it's just what it is. So again, feel the body sitting. And notice where you experience the breath. There are a number of mindfulness with breathing techniques that use a concept to help direct the attention. We might label the breath. If we're observing the belly, we might label the rising and then the falling as a soft whisper in the mind, a simple word, rising, as we feel the changing sensations that occur as the belly rises and falling, as we feel the changing sensations that occur as the belly falls back. If you're observing the breath at the chest and upper torso or at the nostrils and upper lip, you might use the labels in and out. The label, this mental note, should not overshadow the direct experience of the breath. The primary focus is to notice the breath, to know it fully, but sometimes it can be helpful to help direct the attention with the support of this note in and out while we're feeling or knowing the full experience of the breath. So the mental label is not a command. It's not a demand. It's just simply a recognition of what's happening.
in the Anapanasati Samyutta. The discourse is on mindfulness with breathing. We find the instruction to also observe the breath and to know if it's a long breath or a short breath. It doesn't mean that we breathe long or that that we make ourselves breathe long and then we make ourselves breathe short. We simply breathe and we notice. Is it kind of long or is it kind of short? By just noticing if it's long or short, we're challenging ourselves to be attentive to both the beginning and the end of each half breath. How else would we know if it was long or short? To simplify matters, if you're observing the long and short, you might drop the noting of in and out or rising and falling. Just try to stay steady with the whole breath. Is it long or is it short? Observing the long and short breath sometimes puts a spotlight on the transition from the in-breath to the out-breath or from the out-breath to the in-breath. How do you notice when one half-breath ends and the other half-breath begins? What are the sensations that end the last sensations on the in-breath and the first sensations on the out-breath? Observe those transitions. How do you feel them?
let the eyes and face relax. Sometimes we're a little bit too tense when we observe the breath, as though we're straining to look at it or find it. But as the eyes and face and jaw relax, simultaneously see how carefully you can experience and observe each breath. The essence of the practice is very simple. It's simply to observe the breath, to experience the present moment as it's happening now, sitting and breathing. But many of the other things that I spoke of today can be a crutch or a support to help you to do this. If using the mental labels of rising and falling or in and out help direct your attention to the breath, help you to connect, then use them for a while. Maybe use the mental noting for 5, 10, 15 minutes at the beginning of a sitting and then drop it and just stay observing the sensations. If counting the breaths is helpful, do a few rounds to help focus the attention and then drop the count and simply observe the breath. If sometimes focusing on the sensations of the in-breath, giving highlighting the in-breath or highlighting the out-breath or highlighting the transitions between the breaths, if that's helpful, try that. It heightens the interest. And then again, drop that and just observe the whole breath. So there are many techniques and tools we can use to keep sparking our interest in this very simple experience of breathing. it's also possible to enjoy the breath, to maybe breathe with a subtle internal smile, not a toothy grin. It's not that exciting. It's not that thrilling. But maybe a subtle internal smile that is just happy to be alive and to be breathing.
Well, I hope this gives you some tools to play with and work with at home. If you're already doing a daily practice, great, continue. You might explore and incorporate some of this in your practice. If you're coming to this series on mindfulness because you want to establish a practice and you're learning meditation, then what I would encourage is that you decide before you leave this room what time you're going to sit. Choose something that you think you can actually do. For example, the most common time that people sit is in the morning. They wake up a little bit earlier and they don't read the newspaper or they don't, there's something that they, they don't check their email before they go to work. They just meditate instead. So they get for themselves a, a nice little meditation session and then start the day on that really pleasant note. Some people like to have their coffee first and then they go meditate. Some people like to have their breakfast first and then they go meditate. Some people have a work situation that enables them to take a break in the middle of the day and then it's a fabulous kind of regrouping and relaxing and and reconnecting and calming right in the middle of the day, if that's a possibility. And some people wait until the evening. The big danger of that is then you can be tired. Some people like to meditate with their partner and just decide that they're not going to eat dinner together until they meditate. So they sit a while together and then have a nice calm dinner and then transition into the evening that way. So there are lots of ways of approaching it, but usually we have to decide in advance where we're going to fit this into our lives. And then we also have to decide for how long. I would suggest if you're new to practice, try 20 minutes. 20 minutes is a substantial enough period of time to have a good experience of the meditation, but it's not so long that you're going to struggle to find 20 minutes. But if you truly do not have 20 minutes in your life, well, I would say figure out a way to get 20 minutes because your life has got to be insane and there's got to be time frittered away doing other things. But if you truly can't manage 20 minutes, then do something less. But if you can do more, try 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. I was speaking on the phone this morning with somebody who um, wanted to, to talk about her practice She's on the East Coast, and she's doing four hours a day. Well, if you're doing four hours a day, you better talk with the teacher once in a while. (laughs) Because you don't want to waste that kind of time. (laughs) You want to make sure it's productive. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the amount of time is entire. What I'm communicating is that it's entirely up to you. But I would recommend a a normal daily practice to see progress usually is something like between 20 and, and 60 minutes a day is what most people that I know would do. But you have to find something that works for you in terms of timing and in terms of the way. What's most important is that it suits our lifestyle and that it's an ambrosial, pleasant dwelling and we're happy to do it. Because if you hate it, then you're not going to do it. Do it in a way that you like. It's also very helpful to find a place in your home where you meditate. And don't do it in front of the computer. And please turn your, your cell phones off. Like, not just on vibrate, but actually off. Because otherwise, there's going to be part of you that's always going to want to respond to it. 
So set yourself up well to that to benefit by that by the time that you give to the meditation. If you sit comfortable sitting on the floor, that's great. There are lots of zafus and things available. There are benches also available that you can purchase from various stores. There's East West and Mountain View, and there's uh, lots of places you can get those sorts of things. But you don't need to. I often will just sit in uh, my most comfortable chair is the one in front of my computer. So I move it away from the computer. I put it in front of the window, and then I'm very comfortable to sit in a chair. Are there any questions about the practices that we've done working with the breath or establishing a practice this week? Because I'm really hoping that you'll all come to this whole series and really learn the sequence of mindfulness as we're teaching it. And to make that most beneficial, a daily practice in between would support it the most. No questions? Well, then have a lovely evening, and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.